0: Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Jordan, and I am one of the pastors here at Carnegie Free. It is so great to be with you all here today. Welcome to everybody here in the auditorium. Welcome to everybody over in the venue, and welcome to anybody watching online. So glad you could join us today. So, we are continuing our series called Broken to Beautiful, where we have been looking at the letter, the first letter that Paul wrote to the Corinthian church. And this morning, I want to tell you a story about two guys named Gaius and Augustus. And Gaius is baking a cake, and he realizes he's out of eggs. So he calls Augustus and says, hey, Augustus, can you please pick me up some eggs? Augustus says, sure, no problem. He goes to the bank and takes out a loan, because eggs are like $10,000. And then he goes and buys eggs, and then he shows up at Gaius' house and says, here's your eggs, it's 20 bucks. And Gaius says, 20 bucks? And Augusta says, yeah, you know, I buy the cage-free, hormone-free, the, the eggs where they massage the chickens and feed them caviar before they lay them. Like, those are the eggs that I buy. And Guy says, well, those are not the eggs that I buy. He says, I go and I find the oldest eggs possible, and I take them to the front and negotiate down to $2 for the dozen on the eggs. So I'll, I'll pay like $2 for these eggs. And Augusta says, well, you know, I wasn't going to bring it up, but... It took me a lot of gas traveling around to get these eggs, and so I'm going to have to charge you $35 for the eggs and the gas. And guy says, well, I wasn't going to bring it up, but two of these eggs are broken, and so I'm not even going to pay you the full amount for these dozen eggs. I'm going to prorate each egg, and I'll pay you $1.75. And they go back and forth about this, about how much time it took and the emotional damages and all these things until eventually, one of them shouts, you know what? I'll see you in court. The other guy storms out and says, fine, I'll call my lawyer. And then they end up in court, and they're standing before the judge arguing over who should have to pay what for eggs, and the judge is going, really? Like, this is what's going on here? So this is, not exactly, but maybe something similar to what was going on in the church in Corinth. And so today we're gonna talk about lawsuits in the Corinthian church and how Paul wanted them to deal with them. So let's pray. Father God, I thank you for all my friends here in the auditorium and over in the venue and watching online. God, would you please help us to read and understand your word rightly this morning? God, we want to grow to become more like you. God, we want our hearts to be shaped to be more like yours. And God, we ask that you would help us to experience you as we read your word. Would you please work in our hearts this morning? Pray this all in your son's name, amen. All right. So we are going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 verse 1 through 8 today. If you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to open them to there. Corinthians is in the back of your Bible. It goes John, Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians. If you get to John, Acts, Romans, go to the right. You'll find 1 Corinthians. If you get to 2 Corinthians or Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, you're too far to the right. Go to the left and you will find 1 Corinthians. So chapter six is what we're looking for. As you guys are turning there, I wanna give you some background. So last week, Pastor Adrian did a phenomenal job talking about church discipline. And how when a member of the church is unrepentant in their sin, that they're doing something that's clearly against God's will, and they're saying, I don't care what God says, I'm going to do what I want, then we call them to repentance. We call them and say, hey, you you need to turn away from this. If they refuse to turn away, then we remove them from from the church in hopes that they would come to repentance and restoration. And in the Bible, so in our Bibles, I should say, we have chapter divisions, chapter five, chapter six. But when Paul was writing, there's no chapter divisions. That was a later addition to make it easier for us to find where we want to be when we talk in church. Because if I was just gonna say to you, okay guys, we're gonna be in the letter to 1 Corinthians and we're gonna start with the sentence that says, if. We're gonna be here for a long time as you guys all find that sentence. But since we can say chapter six, verse one, it's a lot easier, but Paul didn't write, all right, chapter six, verse one, here we go. And so chapter five leads right into chapter six. So there wasn't a division when Paul was writing it. And so first he talks about, here's how you deal with discipline issues. Here's how you settle disagreements in the church. So let's read this. If any of you has a dispute with another, Do you dare to take it before the ungodly for judgment and set it before the Lord's people? Or do you not know that the Lord's people will judge the world? And if you are to judge the world, are you not competent to judge trivial cases? Do you not know that we will judge angels? How much more the things of this life? Therefore, if you have disputes about such matters, do you ask for a ruling from those whose way of life is scorned in the church? I say this to shame you. Is it possible that there is nobody among you wise enough to judge a dispute between believers? But instead, one believer takes another to court, and this in front of unbelievers. The very fact that you have lawsuits among you means you have been completely defeated already. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be cheated? Instead, you yourselves cheat and do wrong, and you do this to your brothers and sisters. Okay, so as we dig in this this morning, The very first thing I want to do is I want to tell you what this passage does not mean. What it doesn't mean. Because over the course of history, people have used it to say things that I don't think that it means. So the first thing that this passage does not mean, it does not mean that a believer can never pursue legal action against another believer. It does not mean that that there are times and places where a believer needs to take legal action against another believer or can take a legal action against another believer. This is not preventing them from doing that. The second thing it's not doing is it is not, it does not mean that if a believer commits a crime, you need to report them to the church instead of the police. That is not what this is teaching. This is not teaching that if someone commits a crime in your life group, instead of reporting them to the police, you report them to the church and the church takes care of it. That is not what this is saying. That if someone breaks a law, we report them to the police. The third thing this doesn't mean. This does not mean that you can never hire a lawyer. That there are times and places that you need to hire legal representation to represent you in a court of law. And you can do that. It doesn't mean you can't. And the fourth thing, this does not mean you need to be a doormat and let fellow believers take advantage of you. So let me show you why I think this is the case. So in verse 1, he says, if any of you has a dispute, a dispute. So this isn't a major issue. It's a disagreement. It's an argument that the word here is often means business or small business manners, transactions between people, that this is what we're talking about. We're not talking about Ponzi schemes. We're not talking about huge fraud things. We're talking about a guy who sells apples, and he says, last apple in Corinth here, last apple in Corinth, $15, last apple in Corinth. And a guy from his church walks by. He says, last apple in Corinth, 15 bucks." He's like, this is the last apple, buddy. You better buy it. They're out of season. So then guy buys it, buys it 15 bucks. walks down the street, and he hears, last apple in Corinth here, last apple in Corinth. So he turns around and goes, what do you mean that's the last apple? I have the last apple. He goes, oh, sorry, you shouldn't have paid 15 bucks. That's a bad price. So then they get frustrated about this, and he goes, fine, I'm taking you to court. Like, this is what we're talking about. It's small things, or it's someone buys eggs and they argue over what the price of the egg should have been. It's little matters. And why I say little is because in verse two, he says, and if you were to judge the world, are you not competent, competent to judge trivial cases? He doesn't say all cases, he says trivial cases. Little, small disagreements between church members. So that's why I think that there is reason why you can take legal action against other people because he's talking about small things. He's not talking about large things. Second thing, if a believer commits a crime, you need to report them to the police because Romans 13, three through four. So in Romans, Paul's writing another letter to the church in Rome, and this is what he says to them. He says, for rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong." Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right, and you will be commended. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants, agents of wrath, to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. So Paul is talking about governmental authorities in that instance that have the ability to punish its citizens when they break the law. And so he, he's a, he is hoping and praying, and by God's will, that the government would use its power for good and treat all its citizens fairly. But the idea is that the government has the ability to um, punish its citizens. It can put them in jail. It can fine them. But the church doesn't do that. We don't fine people. We don't put them in jail. We don't have a church jail somewhere that we put people in. We don't do that. We, as Paul was doing in chapter 5, we remove members from membership when they refuse and they're unrepentant in their sin. But if someone breaks the law, we report them to the proper judicial authorities so that, that they can pursue legal action against those people. So if someone commits a crime, we don't report them to the church, we report them to the legal authorities. And then towards the end of the message, I'll talk about why I believe that this is not calling us to be doormats. So if that's what it doesn't mean, what do these verses mean? Well, I'm glad you asked. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 1, let's dig into it. If any of you has a dispute with another, do you dare to take it before the ungodly for judgment instead of before the Lord's people? So they have these small disagreements in their church. that may be, And so down in verse 7, when he talks about why not rather be wronged, if you have an ESV Bible, it says be defrauded. And so what we see here is he's really talking about matters of money between two individuals. That it may be they're buying and selling a good. Maybe that there's a service that's being traded, that they're doing work on their house, or they're building something for them, or who knows what. But there's this situation that's occurring in Corinth where instead of loving one another, instead of loving God, what they're doing is every business transaction, every interaction they have with one another, they're trying to wring the last penny out of one another. That if you're doing work on my house, I'm looking for every possible reason I can to say, this is why I shouldn't have to pay you the full amount. And if I'm trying to sell you something, I'm trying to get the very last penny out of this apple or out of this banana or whatever it is that I'm selling you because all I'm concerned about is making money. All I'm concerned about is getting the very last cent. And this is what was going on. So they were not treating each other well. And this is frustrating to Paul because as Christians, we are called to follow the great commandment which is in Matthew 22, 37 through 39. Jesus says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And so as Christians, as Christ followers, we are called to love God with our heart, soul, mind and strength, and then to love our neighbor as ourselves. so that's what we're called to do. So when they're in these business transactions, whether they're buying or selling, they should be saying, how can I love God in this scenario? And then how can I love my neighbor as myself? So when I'm selling an apple, I wanna sell it for the fairest price possible that allows me to stay in business, but is also not price gouging the people that I'm selling this to. Or if I'm doing work on someone's house, I want to do work to the best of my possible ability because I love God and I love my neighbor as myself. But that's not what was happening. They were instead just saying, how can I make the most out of this? And then they were getting into a situation where they were fighting over it and then they were dragging each other to court, to the Romans and saying, hey, this is what this guy did to me. You tell him he needs to pay me money back. or You tell me he needs to pay me what he owes me. And so Paul's going, what is going on? Like you guys are squabbling with each other, you have these petty arguments, and then you're taken to the Roman courts. So, as I've been reading this passage again and again the last couple of weeks, what keeps coming to mind is Judge Judy. Now, I'm not just because I'm about to talk about Judge Judy does not mean you should go home and watch Judge Judy. Um, I would not recommend it for many reasons, but my guess is that all of you at some point have been sick, and you've been flipping through the channels during the day, and you come across Judge Judy, and you sit there and at least watch one case. And it usually goes something like this. You have two people that come up to Judge Judy, and one guy goes, yes, I'm here because my roommate over there owes me $100 from last month's rent because they didn't pay it. And then Judge Judy says, okay, roommate, what's your story? And then roommate over here goes, yes, I'm here because I'm a professional juggler and I broke both of my arms in a bike riding accident and I was unable to pay $100 of last month's rent. I paid all of it but that. And as soon as I can work again, I'll pay the rest of it off. And then judge U goes back to this guy and goes, what's your story? Well, he didn't pay me that $100 and it was due last month and he didn't pay it. And so I want $100 plus I want money for inflation and I want money for interest. And so they owe me $12,000. And then it was back and forth like this. And when you listen to their arguments, you go, there's nobody in your life that you could have talked to about this before you went to judge duty? Like, this is a pretty small argument. And like, on top of that, like, you guys are roommates, and he broke his arms, and he can't pay his rent, but he says he's going to as soon as he can work again. These are professional jugglers. It seems like it makes a lot of sense why he can't do this. You're like, really? Like, this seems really petty. This is what was happening in the Corinthian church. And so you add on top of that, you go, this guy goes to my church, and he won't pay this you like, that guy goes to your church? And you guys are in the same life group? Like, really? This is not great. And so Paul's going, come on now, guys. So then he goes on to verse two. He says, or do you not know that the Lord's people will judge the world? And if you were to judge the world, are you not competent to judge trivial cases? So again, I would underline trivial because I want to clarify that these are small matters. Do you not know that we will judge angels? How much more the things of this life? So maybe you're like me and you read that and he says, do you not know that you're gonna judge angels? And I go, it's kind of news to me, Paul, really? You're acting like this is common knowledge. But there's not a bunch of information in the Bible about judging angels, what's he talking about? So when he talks about judging the world and judging angels, because you're like, wait a minute, I came last week, and he, talked, he said, don't judge the world. What's he talking about? So he's talking about the end of all things, the end of times when Jesus returns, he is going to judge the world. He's going to separate his people from the people that are not his people. And it, it seems like he's going to include as an extension of his authority some of his, his uh, followers. So in Matthew 19:28, Jesus is talking to his disciples. He says, "'Truly I tell you, at the renewal of all things, "'when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, "'you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, "'judging the 12 tribes of Israel.'" So it seems like he's talking to the, the 12 disciples, saying, when I rule, you're going to rule alongside me, and I'm going to give you authority to pass judgment over some of these things. But it's not judgment, that, uh, so hold on a second before I say that. Then let's we'll talk about the angels, So the angels are a similar situation. The angels, uh, I think that he's referring to the angels that have fallen away, the ones that have rebelled against God and have tried to overthrow God and God cast them down to earth. That at the end, Jesus is gonna judge them as well and he's going to separate and say, these angels rebelled, they're gonna be cast into hell and these angels were faithful and they followed and so they're going to continue to, uh, to be with me. And I think what he's getting at in this is saying, hey guys, you have the ability to discern between right and wrong. You have the ability to to look out and to look at this action that's happening in the world and to say that is a bad action and be able to look out in the world and say that is a good action. And we can do that in a non-judgmental way that doesn't say that person is a horrible human being, but we can look at it and say it's not good to murder. It is good to be compassionate. He's saying, if you have the ability to do that, if you have the ability to look at angels and say, it is bad to rebel against God and try to overthrow him, and it is good to worship him and follow him and serve him, like you have the ability to look at these little squabbles and figure out how can you love God and how can you love your neighbor in this situation as both of you being Christ followers. And so the thing he's getting at is that God has given us the ability to discern between right and wrong. That like God has given us the ability to discern between right and wrong. that I think that's true even if you are not a Christ follower, you have the ability to look at murder and say murder is wrong and compassion is good. But when we become Christ followers, we get the Holy Spirit and we also have um, God's character revealed to us so that we know even more about the difference between right and wrong. So we should be able to listen to these squabbles and have someone who's more mature in the church be able to say, this is how you love God, and here's how you love one another in these scenarios. This is how you do this. And then it doesn't have to go before a, a judge in their time period that wasn't a Christian. Some Roman official who's just going to arbitrate based on the Roman law instead of the law of love God and love your neighbor as yourself. So then he goes on in verse four. He says, therefore, if you have disputes about such matters, do you ask for a ruling from those whose way of life is scorned in the church? I say this to shame you. Is it possible that there is nobody among you wise enough to judge a dispute between believers? But instead, one brother takes another to court, and this in front of unbelievers. So he says, therefore, because you have the ability to decide between right and wrong. So if you have a dispute, if you have an argument about these kind of things that are trivial, says you should ask for a ruling from someone in the church. You shouldn't go to a judge who doesn't follow Jesus, who is a Roman official. You should instead go to a more mature believer in the church and say, hey, can you help us to figure out how to handle this situation? We can't come to um, agreement on this, but we both want to love God. We both want to love each other in this. Can you help us? But he says, I say this to shame you. Now, the reason he says that I believe is because they have been saying for the first five chapters about how wise they are. That if you remember earlier on, they're going, we're so wise, and the reason we like Apollos better than you, Paul, is because he sounds more wise, and he's more eloquent, and he's just a better, better speaker than you, and we're wise like he is. And so they've been, for four chapters, going, we're really, really wise, and now all of a sudden, they're going, we're not wise enough to be able to solve these little disputes, so we gotta go ask the Romans. And so Paul is saying, wait a minute. I thought you guys just told me for four chapters how wise you were and how smart you were and how you knew everything. And now you're saying you can't decide how much an apple should cost? Wait a minute. And so he's saying, I say this to shame you. I want you to realize that what you're doing is foolish. She says, there's got to be somebody in your church that is wise enough to be able to settle these disputes so you don't have to go to a non-Christian to settle these minor disputes. Because what they were doing is they were taking it to the Romans and they were making a circus in the Roman courts and they were making mockery of Jesus. Like if you're a Roman official and you have two Christians coming before you and they're squabbling, my guess is you're not going, man, I really wanna be involved in their church. That looks like it'd just be an awesome time. They're very logical, well thought out individuals. Like that's not, I think what people's response would be. And he's going, you're making a mockery of Jesus. You're dragging his name through the mud when you go do this. Like This is not a matter that you need legal advice on, this is a matter you just need a wise Christian to mediate for you. So our second takeaway is in non-criminal matters, non-criminal, we seek Christian mediation before legal retaliation. In non-criminal matters, we seek Christian mediation before legal retaliation. So let's just say hypothetically that your next door neighbor goes to your church And you have one of those weird scenarios where there's like this spot between your two houses And it feels like you should mow this spot that's where your property line ends and they should mow this spot where their property line ends. But instead they don't mow that area and they just kind of act like it's yours to mow. And so you get frustrated every time you go out there to mow because he just leaves it for you to mow. And every time you mow, you get a little more frustrated and you start doing the math in your head about how much gasoline this takes and how much time. And you're thinking, I could just send him a bill in the mail for me having to mow that two feet of his lawn. Like, and you want to get him. And you could do that. And you could go take him to Judge Judy and try and get him to pay that little bit of land for that little bit of mowing. Or you could come and talk to somebody at the church because it's not a criminal matter. So it doesn't have to be someone at the church. It could be someone in your life group, someone who is a more Christian, uh, not a more Christian, a more mature or wise person that you look up to and say, hey, I think you could help me to know how to handle this. Okay, we go on here to verse seven. He says, the very fact that you have lawsuits among you means you've been completely defeated already. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be cheated? Instead, you yourself cheat and do wrong, and you do this to your brothers and sisters. So again, this word that the NIV translates as wronged can also be translated as defrauded. So it's this money situation they have going on. But he says, the very fact that you have lawsuits among you means you've been completely defeated already. Well, how have they already been completely defeated? I think it's because he's saying, you guys have the wrong standard. Like, you guys are going in there trying to win, and you're not trying to say, hey, judge, can you help us decide how to love God and love each other well in this? They're going there and saying, how can we wring the last possible cent out of each other? The, the Roman law allows me to do this. You tell him I can do this. And so he says, you guys have been completely defeated already. Now, there could be a second reason. And I don't know if this is his reason or not, but the situation is, if you appear on Judge Judy, you've lost already. It doesn't matter if you win. You've already lost if you're on Judge Judy. Because people find out how petty you are. They find out that you're willing to go take this person to court over $100 when he broke his arms. Like, what are you doing? And the same thing that if they show up in this Roman court, you you guys lost. You guys have missed the mark. So let to talk about how this doesn't mean we're doormats. Because you can read where he says, why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be cheated? And you go, okay, so I'm just supposed to go into every transaction, every interaction and say, okay, I'm just here to be wronged. Like if, if they refuse to pay me, no big deal. I, I wanna love my brother well. So here's why this is not calling us to be doormats because it is calling it is a, it is an interaction or a transaction between two Christians not between a Christian and a non-Christian, between two Christ followers who have the same standard, that if you have two Christians that are both saying, my goal in this is to love God with my heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love my neighbor as myself, then nobody in that should be looking to turn somebody into a doormat. Nobody should be looking to say, I'm gonna get everything I possibly can out of this guy. This guy is gonna go easy on me. He's gonna let me complain and let me knock off dollars here and there and there. And so I'm gonna get this for like, Five cents on the dollar, and I'm gonna go and I'm gonna sell it for 20, for 75 cents on the dollar. I'm gonna make so much money off this chump. That is not the heart that Jesus is calling us to have. But instead, it's both of us are saying, I wanna love God and love my neighbor in this interaction. And so you should have two people saying, I wanna do what I can to make this as fair as I possibly can, that I wanna charge you a fair price. And I want to pay a fair price. I'm not trying to haggle lower. I'm not trying to cut corners when I do the job. I'm trying to do as best as I possibly can to honor God and honor you. And so you have two people doing that, no one is going to get turned into a in doormat. But what you could do in this, because he says, why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be cheated? Is if you're going to say, if someone's going to get. If we're going to split it and I feel like someone is going to get 50.1% and someone's going to get 49.9%, I want to take the 49.9%. I want to be wronged that little bit because I don't want to cheat you. Because I love God and I love my neighbor as myself and you're my neighbor, I I want to be willing to take that little bit less so that you walk away saying okay, I was loved well in this. I don't want you to walk away at this interaction with me as a Christian, as a brother and say man, he was trying to to wring every cent out of me that he could. And so we go into it saying, I'm not a doormat, but if someone is gonna lose .01% or .1%, I'm the one who's willing to lose that .1%. Now, I think that he was saying that the reason they've lost already, they've been defeated already is because they had the wrong standards. They were going in there living by Rome standards instead of God's standards. And so our last takeaway is that we live by God's standards, not merely the government's. We live by God's standards, not merely the government's. Now here's what I mean by that. That the government was allowing them to do this. And so they were able to have business transactions where they could take them to the Roman law and say, here's what they're letting me do, I follow the Roman law, But God's standards are up here. He's saying, love your neighbor as yourself. And they were living in this gap. Their heart was not to follow God's standard. It was to do, what can I do and get away with it by the Roman standard? And so they needed to go up and follow God's standards, not the Roman standard. And so the question that we have for ourselves is, who is the ultimate authority in our lives? Who is the ultimate authority? Whose standard are we living by? Are we living by God's standard Are we living by the government standard? we Are living by our own standard? Who is the authority that we submit ourselves to? Because if it's God's, when we have these interactions with people, the question we're gonna say is, how do I love God and how do I love my neighbor in this situation? If it's the government, then it's what will the government allow me to get away with in this interaction? What can I do? And if this person takes me to court, I can win. Or if it's ourselves, it's what can I do and still go to sleep at the end of the night? What can I do and be happy with myself? And I don't care what the government says, I don't care what God says, I feel good about this. And so what is the ultimate authority, what is the standard in your life? The next one is, do you have a disagreement, a dispute with some brother or sister? That perhaps it's someone in your life group, perhaps it's an actual next door neighbor, perhaps, It's just someone in the church that you have a dispute with them and you've never really resolved the dispute. You didn't take them to court because you said, I can't do that because I wanna follow the Bible in this area, but I'm just gonna ignore them and I'm just gonna act like they don't exist. Like if I see them in church, I don't actually see them. And perhaps you need to sit down and say, God, how can I love you and love them well? And maybe you need to get another wise Christian involved to help settle this dispute. So instead of just ignoring them, you can treat them like a brother and sister, a brother or sister. And perhaps in all of this, perhaps in all of this, you're going, I don't really have a dispute with a Christian that that I know this passage is about brothers and sisters, but my dispute is with my actual neighbor. Like I love the majority of my neighbors, but there's this one guy and he has a dog. And he lets his dog do his business in my yard and he doesn't pick it up and it's killing my grass. And so what happens is I've been thinking about how much money I'm spending on grass seed and on water and how I'm raking it and how I'm taking my time, and I want to send him a bill in the mail, and I get it. But also, what if you showed him the love of Jesus? What if you loved him like you love God, like you would want to be loved? And you can still have a conversation with him. You can still catch him out there and say, hey, you know, could you not let your dog do your, his business here or could you pick it up afterwards, please? It's costing me a lot of money in grass seed. I'm not taking you to judge duty, but it it, takes me, it costs me a lot of money. Well, maybe you would make an act of love in their direction. That as you saying, God, I, I want to try and love this person. That I, I have been saying to myself, God, I, I love my other neighbors really well, and because I love them well, I've been making an excuse for why I don't love this one very well. And maybe you say after this, you just go, you know what, I, I want to love them well too. And so out in the main hallway next to the information center, we have a thing called our neighboring wall. And out in our neighboring wall, we have May Day baskets. Not baskets, they're bags. Maybe you grab one of those May Day bags and you put it on their doorstep tomorrow for May Day. And it's just this act of, of grace or of love towards them that you're going to start in your heart and say, I'm going to start breaking down this wall that I built there because I'm being resentful because of some small dispute. And I don't want a small dispute to, to separate me from sharing the gospel with you or me displaying the gospel to you. And so maybe that's what it's about for you, not because this passage is literally about next door neighbors, but it's about how do we love one another well. So as we wrap up here, we're talking about how the church goes from being broken to beautiful. Well, when the church is full of disputes and brother is taking brother to court or sister is taking sister to court, then it's broken. It is ugly and it's unattractive and people don't want to be a part of that. But when... When brothers sit down and they have disputes and other people would say, take him to judge duty and instead you say, no, we're gonna resolve resolve this. We're we're part of a community of believers and we believe that since this is a non-criminal thing, we, we can resolve this. We're gonna be able to sit down and we're gonna work this out. And when neighbors see neighbors treat each other like that, when people see love like that, the church goes to being something that's beautiful. And that's what we want to be here at E-Free, and that's what I want to be a part of. I don't want to be a church that's known to be more like Judge Judy than it is to be like Jesus. And so as we go forward, I hope that we can be those kind of people. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you. I thank you for your love and your goodness. I thank you for your compassion and your mercy. And God, I thank you that you call us to this. God, would you help us to be these kind of people, even though it's hard at times? even though there's desires in us to try and get the most we can out of interactions. God, would you help us to be people that love you and love others well? And God, as we have talked about uh, just the role that the government plays in some of these things, God, I I wanna lift up some of our government leaders to you this morning. God, I pray for Mayor Klaus here in Kearney. I pray that you would give him wisdom and, and guidance as he leads the city. God, I lift up Governor Pillen to you, God. I pray that you would give him wisdom as he leads and guides our state. God, would you help him to know how to um, do what is just and right and fair. And God, I pray for President Biden. I pray that you would help him as he leads our country to know what is right and just and fair and that he would um, guide us and direct us in a way that you would be pleased with. God, I am grateful that we live um, where we have a judicial system we can appeal to. And I pray that you would give us wisdom to know when we should do that and when we should not. And God, would you give us hearts that would love you and love our neighbors well, and that we would pursue restoration and reconciliation, and that we would be the kind of people that would say, "Um, if someone is going to lose out on 0.1%, I want it to be me, because I want you to walk away saying uh, that I was loved. So I pray this all in your son's name.